0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, as we continue our uh, sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount uh, this week, as these uh, chapters of Scripture are known, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'll remind us, it's interesting as we're walking through, it's easy to kind of lose the forest for the trees. Uh, uh, Jesus ends the book of Matthew with words that maybe are, are somewhat familiar for us. It's called the Great Commission. And it's these verses where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he says, surely I'll be with you even to the end of the age. One way of thinking about what we're learning in the Sermon on the Mount and certainly throughout the whole book of Matthew is that we're learning what that means to teach and to know the commandments of God, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus is telling us that right here in the Sermon on the Mount. We have it. We don't have to look high and low for it. He's revealing it to us. So we see here that in that sense, uh, Jesus as well is fulfilling all of what came before him. We've seen in Psalm 19. We just heard a song sung about the commandments, the the good word of the Lord that's revealed and it's fulfilled in Christ as he comes. And that's the focus of our passage today. Uh, Jesus pauses in a sense in this Sermon on the Mount after we've looked at the Beatitudes sort of opening up the theme and laying out the characteristics of the kingdom life. And then he's going to go in in the following weeks and walk through some specific commands and and how we should rightly interpret them, particularly because they were uh, incorrectly interpreted in his his day. And, And before he does that, he wants to say, okay. how does all that I'm bringing into the world, how does all that I'm doing and saying correlate with all that you've heard before? The message of God in the Old Testament. How do we bring those things together? So I invite you to uh, to stand with me as we read uh, these words. This is the word of God and Jesus is going to remind us of How truthful and reliable it is that this isn't just uh, good thoughts for decent living that we have here in the Bible or even in the Old Testament. It's not some antiquated uh, text for us to maybe just consider, but is the word of God. Let me read to you as you read along silently. Matthew chapter five, verse 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated and let's pray again together. Father, we uh, pause to pray now because we know we specifically need uh, help to understand and apply your word. Help us specifically with this passage that is. About your word and about its veracity, its truthfulness, its reliability, about its power, about the necessity of us upholding it and surrendering to it, especially today. Help us, O Lord, to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as some of you uh, may have noticed, I recently had the privilege to uh, upgrade my vehicle from my 01 Jalopy, the old ta- Tahoe, the black one that I've driven for years and years, uh, to an 08 model. And that was uh, uh, a privilege uh, straight from the gracious... Uh, uh, benefactor in our own congregation here. So that was a, a huge privilege for me to be able to do that. But it resulted in me having this old one uh, Tahoe that I was looking to find a home for. And I, I prayed about it and thought who would, who would be a good person to talk to, see if they, they needed it and wanted to cut a deal. Uh, Brandon Robbins, who's in our own congregation here, and uh, he works as a photographer and also works in uh, ministry, if you will, with Birmingham Theological Seminary. I thought, well, the Lord kind of led me to talk to him about it, and I remembered that he was looking for a larger vehicle to maybe put all his photography gear and stands and lights and so forth, so we we set up our deal. Uh, He came over one day to make the the handoff, get the keys, sign the title and so forth, and that's where things started to go wrong. We sat around the uh, kitchen, and it happened to be as we sat down to sign that Back of that title that it was right at the time that my kids were coming home from school and there was a lot of activity and I'd like to sort of blame it on that confusion. But the fact is, I didn't really read the blanks very carefully on the back of that document. And I wrote in the iotas and the dots of my name where I thought they were supposed to go only to finish up and zoom back out and realize that I'd written the buyer and seller in the wrong place. And more than that, if you've ever looked at one of those things on the back, it specifically says in really big letters, no changes allowed. Do not alter this document at all. So, of course, Brandon and I attempted to doctor that document up, see if we could change a few things and make it look the way it was supposed to look. And he went off with it. Surely this will be fine. The folks at the Bessemer Courthouse, they'll be all right with this a week later. Get the text from Brandon. Slightly, annoyed. you can you sort of sometimes tell volume and tone and text. You messed up big time, Chris. I'm stuck here and they won't take the form. Well, you know, I I, I felt really bad because I can't stand bureaucracy and I can't stand standing in line. And so I felt I sympathized for for my friend and it was my mistake. I was like, let's see what we can do. Christine, who works at our office, she's a notary. You, we'll come to you, Brandon, whatever. He said, No, no, I'll come by. I got to go over that way to get back towards Bessemer anyway. He stops by this week, one afternoon, as we're finishing up our staff meeting. And I sit down and very carefully look at the piece of paper, this new affidavit that he's got, this legal document. And I look, make sure seller, buyer, seller, buyer, okay, dots, iotas, let's get them all right in the right place and sign it. I'm done. Christine does her notary thing and, and bosses and whatnot. And Brandon picks it up and looks at it and realizes that Christine had now written the names in the wrong places as well in the section that she's supposed to do. But I mean, come on, it's been notarized. That's what they're there for. So Brandon t- takes off. He's only about 10 minutes away to go to, to Bessemer. It gets to be about 415. I get another text from Brandon. I've been bumped to the back of the line. They won't take the form. I'd already told them, hey, we're willing to come over there if we need to. Christine grabs all her gear, loads up in her car. I load up in my car. We're driving over. There's a little back road that goes, a little narrow back road that goes over to uh, Bessemer from, from our office there in, in Ross Bridge. And, uh, and, and I was just thinking, literally, I'm not making this up. This isn't just sermon illustration makeup. I, I literally was thinking, boy, this situation's getting kind of crazy. As I got over the top of the crest of a little hill and I saw a deer that was moving from my lane into the other lane, slammed on my brakes as best I could to stop and miss that creature. And indeed, I did only to hear a loud thud in the back right side of my vehicle. That must have been that poor deer's buddy trying to make his way across the road. There's no place to stop on that road because there's no sort of turnoffs and traffic's moving along pretty quick. And we had to get to Brandon. So I trucked on (laughs) moving on into Bessemer. We get out of the vehicle. Christine grabs all her gear. We go through the metal detector. She gets all her stuff put through little stamps and so forth. We get to Brandon and he's now become friends with all the people at the place because he's been up there many (laughs) times and he's a friendly guy. By this time, he's about to pull out what little bit of hair is still left in his head, and, uh, and we, we, we sign the form. We do the thing right there in, in the line. And the, the guy who's kind of the crowd control person is now taking this personally upon him as his little baby. This situation. He's going to get Brandon through. He's going to get this moronic pastor. And he's going to get the thing done. He, he's going to get it taken care of. So he grabs the form and is about to take Brandon up. And he said, I thought your name was Robbins. Brandon says, my name is Robbins. In... Disbelief. He looks and realizes they've written Roberts on the form. The official DMV people had typed it up wrong now. Well, finally, after all of this, they take me on back with Brandon and Christine as well. I swore on the blood of the dead deer on the side of my vehicle that I was Chris Peter's. Christine uh, embossed and stamped every little sticky note and piece of paper that was anywhere nearby, and Brandon was finally able to breathe a sigh of relief that the change of vehicle title that he had done nothing wrong with and everybody else had messed up was finally resolved. Well, as you maybe have experienced at different places in your life as well, Uh, What is written down and what's not written down and where it's written and how it's written sometimes matters a lot. It matters to folks in government uh, agencies and probably for good reason when you think about it. It matters so much more and for such a higher and important reason to the Lord as it relates to his word and to his commands. And that's really Jesus's main point in our passage for today uh, in Matthew chapter five, verses 17 through 20. And you can follow along if you want to in your worship guide. There's a note section at the at the back of the worship guide. And the main idea, I think, that, that Jesus would have us take away. I know it's a little bit wordy, but I think each part of this is important, is that since Jesus fulfills every bit of the Old Testament, we must apply God's word through Christ, not just in our own power, not through our own ability, through Christ, with the goal of genuine or deeper obedience. And that's a lot. We're going to try to unpack that in the next few minutes. The fact is, a passage like this uh, answers some questions, but also brings other questions to light for us, doesn't it? Questions that we have, even if we don't maybe regularly articulate them. Uh, All of us probably at some point, if we're familiar with the Bible at all, have wondered, uh, is it in fact true that there is sort of a stricter, harsher, law-giving God in the Old Testament and a different, merciful, loving, gracious one in the New Testament? Is that okay to think that way? Is that true? Uh, If not, we've at least maybe struggled, how do these two things jive with each other? How does the message of what God we know this Old Testament is God's word, it's actually the bulk of our Bible. How does he jive with what Jesus has done and what he's come to to say? Uh, maybe at uh, points, if we're honest, we've wrestled in reading, if you've ever picked up and read certain sections of the Old Testament, whether they're even really all that relevant to being a Christian. Are they very are they even pertinent? And at the bottom of that, we're really probably asking the question whether we believe they're true and sound word from God. On top of that, if we read this passage that we're looking at today, we might ask, how is it then if Jesus is saying all of this is important, if Jesus is saying all this is vital, how does he fulfill it? What does that mean? How does that work its way out? So lots of things for us to look at today today. I've tried to put some of the answers to that and the implications for our life under three headings. Continuity, confirmation, and conviction. Continuity, confirmation, and conviction. When Jesus says in verse 17 that He didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but in fact that He came to fulfill them, He's making a huge statement, it seems to me, that's explicit about the continuity that we ought to see between what God's communicated in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'll date myself uh, just a little bit here, either younger or older than some of you. But the first of the Rocky movies that I ever saw was Rocky three. David McNabb lived in my neighborhood and David, I think, was the first guy to have a, a newfangled technology called a VCR. And they had these little tapes that could go in there and play a movie. And you didn't have to wait for a movie to come on TV or go to, a, to the theater to see it. You could go over to David McNabb's and watch the movie. Well, the first one we saw, I guess it just, you know, come out fairly recently, was Rocky III. And it's got the Hulkster and it's got uh, Mr. T and all the story and so forth. And you pick up some of what's happening. But I'll tell you, that was a great movie, wonderful movie to watch. Later on in life, when I watched Rocky One and Rocky Two. It made a whole lot more sense, right? Where he had come from, who he was, who was Apollo Creed. All of this stuff starts to make a whole lot more sense. That's probably a crass illustration, but you get the idea for the scriptures. The same thing is true. Uh, there's cohesion. There's connectivity between what came before and the story in the New Testament, the accounts of Christ in the New Testament. And, it, and it's really important for us. Uh, There's some theological terms for this. One is sort of views the Old Testament scriptures as disconnected. It's called dispensationalism, that there's sort of these segments and and God kind of works one way in the Old Testament, a different way in the New Testament. Uh, There's another perspective on that that's called covenantal theology, looking at at the Bible for that continuity. And if you know that I went to Covenant Seminary and used to work at a church called Covenant, then you kind of know where I stand on 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 those matters. But the reality is this. If we look for continuity, credible things come to light. And if we lose sight of it, some really uh, sad things happen. You know, I, we, we've got a, a bit of a collection around the house of little children's Bibles. And then we also have at some point we got these uh, these dolls. And no offense if you have them and your kids love them. Uh, my kids kind of enjoyed them, too. But they're like Bible character dolls. And, and they're pretty neat. You like pull a little cord, I think, or hit a button on the back or whatever. And they say, you know, I am Abraham and I did this and, and tell about their story. And, they're, they're, you know, not bad things are good to, to learn about it. But it's interesting what those Bible characters say and don't say. And what the central message is of those Bible characters, little spiel that they give. And some of those children's Bibles as well. We really see it clearly there. It becomes a message of moralism. The, the Old Testament is about be like this person, uh, be like uh, Noah, because he obeyed God, be be like Abraham, because he served God, be like Moses, because he followed God courageously, but followed the trajectory a little bit, be like David, because of his sin with Bathsheba and how he tried to cover it up by murdering someone be like Samson, because he was a womanizer. And God still chose to use him. Be like Peter because he denied Jesus. You know, you you try to put that together and it doesn't really work. There's got to be a bigger message. And what Jesus is saying when he says he comes to fulfill all that's come before him is he's saying the centerpiece of all of Scripture is the redeeming, rescuing, saving work of God. It's not about the performance of spiritual people in the Old Testament. Now. Now. Great for us to look at the places in their life where we can emulate them, where they're walking in step with God. Absolutely, we ought to be like that. But that can't be the only message. Jesus is saying, all this is fulfilled in me because Jesus is the only one who does that perfectly. That's the idea of continuity and why it's important for what we believe about this message throughout the Scriptures. And so a question for us today is, what what's our interpretive grid as we're looking at the Bible? Even if we just read a little bit of it. Maybe you're not a person that you would call a student yourself, a student of the Bible, but you do read some of it. What are you looking for as you read? Are you are you looking as you read the Old Testament passages for the, the work of God's grace and redemption all the way through? That it's a message ultimately about people that fall short of God's glory like you and I do and that God's the hero. Not the people in the Old Testament. God's the hero of the story. He's the redeeming one. He's the rescuer. As we think about this and think in particular about Jesus fulfilling, let's get a little bit more specific. That's kind of a global idea. How does Jesus actually fulfill what comes before? Well, a, a number of ways It's amazing. And we, we think about it. It'll broaden our picture of Jesus and raise up our worship of him. He fulfills the Old Testament like, a, like an oak tree fulfills an acorn, right? An acorn has everything sort of in it, latent, you know, you know Jesus' time they didn't really know about DNA and, and so forth and cellular structure, but the, the acorn has like the essential stuff to become an oak tree, but it's got to grow, it's got to expand into that. In a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. The Old Testament, much of it was a sort of acorn. And now as Jesus comes, the oak tree is spreading its branches and you see the fulfillment of it. So he's the fulfillment of revelation in that way. Certainly, Jesus is the fulfillment of all sorts of predictions. If we've read any of the Old Testament, the prophecies that proclaim him. We were looking at one just back in our Sunday school class today. Foundations of faith from Isaiah fifty three. Verse six, where it says all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. It's a prediction. It's a prophecy about Jesus, about the suffering servant who would come and rescue us. So Jesus is the oak tree of the acorn. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. And then he's, he's also just pound for pound takes on all of the Old Testament system. Think about the sacrificial system that they had and and what the book of Hebrews says in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7. It says this, that Jesus lives forever and so he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest, it says there, meets our need. One who's holy, blameless, pure set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So Jesus fulfills that whole ceremonial system. It all comes to fruition in him. He also fulfills the moral system. Second Corinthians in the New Testament says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Old Testament has a strong moral side to it. We saw it in our call to worship today from 119. You heard it in the song that we just sung for the offertory. And and there's a, a law and a righteousness about who God is. Well, Jesus fulfills that as well by being the righteous one on our behalf. So the question for us there, I guess, with continuity is how does how does recognizing what Jesus does and how he fulfills all of that? How does it elevate our our worship of Him and our recognition of who Jesus can and should be in our lives? And then how does that refresh and transform us from the inside? That's continuity. Let's take a minute and talk about confirmation. Jesus confirms the truthfulness, the reliability, the soundness of all that's in the Old Testament that comes before Look again at verse 18 in Matthew chapter 5. He says, truly, I say to you, the, uh, the old um, King James version, if you happen to have one of those, probably says this word, verily, verily, which we don't you know, use in our language today. But it's, it's this way of saying, please hear me or absolutely, you must listen to this. Maybe please is too much on us It's saying that this is so vital. Listen up. Maybe is another way of putting it. And this is the strongest language that you can use in the New Testament to say, pay attention to what I'm saying to you. And Jesus says after that, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. You think about it for a minute when he's talking about an iota and a dot is actually the, the original words are actually specific parts of letters in the Hebrew language. And the idea here is just this, that you think about an L, you know, a, a lowercase L in our language to make it into a T. You, you basically put a line across it. Okay, But that that changes what's being said there from an L to a T. But it's just a little line that makes the change. If you think about a um, an A, the letter A, and we could go through a bunch of them, I'm sure, you know, to turn it into a D. You just stretch out that line on the side, right? It's just just a little extension. It's just a little iota. It's a little dot, but it means everything for what that word says after it or could very well mean it. And that's what Jesus is saying. And it's interesting, even in uh, reading through one of the commentaries that I've quoted from last couple of weeks, and I think it's really sound and and helpful. It was interesting that gymnastics, that the, the writer of this particular commentary seemed to go around to, To say something else other than that Jesus is affirming the complete truthfulness, the inerrancy, we might call it, the soundness of every word of the Old Testament Scripture. What does that mean for you and for me? That means we can bank on it. That means those lessons that we do learn from the Scriptures, we can build our lives around it and have full confidence That the God who we're worshiping as we study the Old Testament and the God who we're seeking to follow as we study it is is exactly who he says he is. And we can bank on that. It's easy for us to uh, doubt that. In our culture, whether you flip on the Discovery Channel or History Channel or whether you had two or three lectures or classes in college like I did on the Bible or something that were the dismantling of the Bible, at least in the classes I had, or whether you just hang out with other people who uh, would would look at the Bible as just another sort of spiritual book. There's sort of a bombardment of of messages that says you can't really believe this thing. You're kind of you're kind of out of your mind, really. To be building your life on the truthfulness of the Scripture. That, that's the messages that are coming into our world, and and all I want you to see today is if it's good enough for Jesus, it, it really ought to be good enough for us. That's that's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying that's what I can. That's part of my fulfillment is to say, hey, believe this message here. And I I'm not saying it's bad or or, or totally wrong for us to have some doubts. I am a, a I'm predisposed to be a doubtful, skeptical, analytical person. So I get that. What I find is when when I'm doubting and when I'm going off track in doubting, it's when my doubt takes me away from the Lord, when I don't bring those things to him and I'm not ready to trust him. And instead, I have a sort of um, determined skepticism that says I will not believe. You know, if you don't give me the perfect answer, then I'm not going to believe it. And, and, and that's a posture that I think really moves us away from being able to experience all that God wants us to through his word. Uh, ultimately, the way it works out is this. And I put on your uh, in your worship guide there, I think, a, a statement that just says this. If you believe what you like in the Bible, you really don't believe the Bible. You only believe yourself. That's true, really, isn't it? If we're going to kind of select from it what we decide we want to follow and adhere to, then we're really not uh, submitting ourselves to. It. We're really not recognizing it as God's word. It works out this way: if that sort of radical skepticism, if we're not unseating that, if we're not moving that out of our lives, then we say, "Well, um, the solution to my anger problem, the struggle I have with anger, is is not to believe, repent, and seek change." The solution to my anger problem is to say, well, maybe God didn't really mean what he said about anger, that it was really that big a deal. The solution to my lust problem, the solution to my greed problem, the solution to my lack of love for others around me, the solution to all those things. It's not really repent and, and believe and seek to change. It's, it's, you know, God maybe didn't mean what he said. Let's twist it, and tweak it to make it work with who I am. Right. And that's not following God that's not giving us an opportunity to really know God that's not giving us a chance to really surrender to Christ either and see His work in our lives. So Jesus confirms the soundness the truthfulness of the Bible and challenges us with that and the last thing that we see in these verses and this are these are all tough things aren't they? Uh, continuity, confirmation and then conviction verse 19 look at at that with me and on down to verse 20. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them, be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And in this last verse, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Say, hold up, Chris. All right, we talked just a minute ago about how Jesus fulfills all of this and that he's our righteousness. He satisfies the righteous requirements of the law. Uh, This sounds like we're sort of back to to square one and that we have to have a certain uh, level of obedience in order to be saved. That that's really the issue. It's not really what Jesus did for us, but it's really what we do. Well, let's let's make sure we peel this apart a little bit. Let's think, first of all, about the Pharisees and scribes. If we know anything about them, we know they were uh, fastidious. They were meticulous with trying to obey the law. They not only had the, you know, your standard Ten Commandments, which are enough for me. I don't need any more. But anyway, they had the Ten Commandments (laughs) that they added on. uh, Well, there was more in the Old Testament commands of various laws that they were called to follow as a sort of nation state and as a people. And then and then they added on a whole auxiliary set of laws, which were laws to keep them from getting close to disobeying the other law, if that makes sense. And so some people estimate somewhere between 513 and 613. They had a lot of laws. So is Jesus saying here is this message that if the average Pharisee scribe obeys 350 of those laws, that if we can obey 351, we're in good shape. That can't be what Jesus's message is here. What Jesus is saying is, and this is one way to put it as one commentator said, that Jesus is concerned Christian righteousness, far, with Christian righteousness that far surpasses Pharisaic righteousness in kind, rather than in degree, in type rather than in magnitude. Does that make sense? So what Jesus is saying here is that. If you are someone who has just read the Beatitudes, remember, let's put this in context, and we recognize we're poor in spirit, we're mourning over our poverty, of spiritual poverty, we're meek and we're seeking humility, we know we're empty of, of righteousness, so we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. If you're that kind of person, then when you see what I've done for you as, as the Savior, when you see the redemption, then you're going to desire to serve from a heart level from a deep character transformation level that's going to allow your righteousness to far exceed just the outward and external conformity to the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees type of righteousness was was impressive. People were impressed with their ability to to do all of those things the same way you and I are impressed with a, a, an athlete who you read about all the training and regimen that they go through. And you say, wow, how can they do that? nine hours a day and all of the fitness stuff and the way that they eat and we're impressed with it. The people in Jesus' day were impressed with the Pharisees spiritually. But you remember how many times Jesus had to say, look, God desires mercy. God desires a contrite heart. God desires love that genuinely flows forth from the work of the Lord. The Pharisees weren't getting 350 out of the 613 commandments. They were completely off the reservation. In trying to do that, in thinking that that was the sum total of a relationship with the living God. So you and I are called absolutely to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. It's one that flows out of Jesus's fulfilling work, a fulfilling work of all that has come before in the Old Testament. And that comes to its culmination and fulfillment in the work that Jesus is doing in the church and in our lives, even today. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that uh, every uh, iota and dot of it is uh, sound and trustworthy. And we ask, Lord, that you would enable us to be people that more fully rest our lives now and our eternal lives on our hope in in that truth, in that message, in your word. And so we pray that you would enable us to to do that, You enable us to grow in that way. Father, we pray as well that you'd help us to see all the ways that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And through that, our our lives would really be transformed. Uh, we'd be compelled and propelled by who Jesus is and Well that you'd help us in that way as well. We thank you for this truth, the way it transforms our lives, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.